Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Thought I'd give you a little sneak peek if you're watching on YouTube to the new background, some of the things that I'm uh, doing around here, getting ready for the launch of the new podcast, making some improvements with Here We Are as well. I'll talk a little bit about it at the end of the show. This is a special episode. I thought rather than just talk about MS, have an MS researcher on. It's such an important topic that I don't know much about. I thought I'd have a friend with MS join me as well to help me out with some better questions and uh, and just add a little personal experience to the conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And I'll talk to you on the flip side. Uh, do I say flip side? <laughs> oh, here i guys i don't i don't say flip side see ya uh, see on the other on the back end of this thing <laughs> see on the when the show's over and then i'll i'll see you again when the show's over at the end and the out thing all right <laughs> are we yes where are we here why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Have a very special episode for you today, mixing it up, doing something different. This is a really important episode for me. I have joining me associate professor at Stanford, Dr. May Han is joining me, who is an uh, expert on multiple sclerosis research. Uh, May, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invite. Great to meet all of you, especially you, Shane, and Megan. And I have uh, a, a special, uh, I, I have one of my favorite people in the whole wide world joining me. Here's a little bit of a, a background story on, on what's going on. So I've had a, some, I've had a few good friends with MS uh, in my life, Megan being one of them. And I've been wanting to get a researcher on forever. I asked around and uh, I, I got referred to Mayhan by my, my favorite scientist, Robert Sapolsky, who listeners always hear me blabbing about and raving about. And I, I told Megan all, all about um, this podcast coming up. And she was so jealous that I got to uh, meet Mayhan and I was like, well, I don't know anything about MS and, and Megan's someone who has spent years kind of uh, doing so much of her own research and dealing with her own condition, figuring out uh, all of uh, what kind of works for her. And so joining me as well as my friend, Megan. Hello, Megan. Hi. Um, and so Megan's going to help me out. I don't know anything about MS other than just, uh, I've never, I've never uh, read a lot about it. I've, I, uh, it's one of those intimidating but important subjects for me. So it's, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to have someone with experience and someone that actually has done their research a little bit, helping me with some questions. So to get started, Mehan, could you tell us, could you tell me and the listeners a little bit about uh, you, what you do and your experience? So uh, I'm a, a physician um, uh, treating patients with multiple sclerosis. So that's what I specialize in. So I take care of patients who, uh, you know, present with uh, 
you know, uh, neurological conditions of the nervous system, uh, most of which are multiple sclerosis patients. Mm. What what else? Uh, what else do you research? What other neurologic issues? So my specialty is called neuroimmunity, or mm. basically anything that uh, causes autoimmune conditions of the brain, uh, where the immune system attacks the central nervous system. So mm. uh, you know I do research on the the topic of autoimmunity of the brain. Uh, and uh, disease-wise, multiple sclerosis and neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorders. Can you tell us what is multiple sclerosis? Very good question. So multiple sclerosis is a a nervous system disorder. So, you know, very uh, briefly, you can consider the nervous system as the uh, central nervous system, which includes the brain and spinal cord and the optic nerve, the nerve that gives vision to the eyes. Uh, you know, that's the central nervous system. And the peripheral nervous system is the nerves that come out of the brain and spinal cord and supply the rest of the body. So I specialize in the central aspect of it. So brain, spinal cord, optic nerve. Mm. And basically, multiple sclerosis is a condition where the immune system starts attacking the myelin in your brain. So, you know, as you know, the immune system is there to protect you uh, from the, um, you know, inflammation of the, the immune system is there to protect you from like the foreign proteins like bacteria, viruses, uh, and, you know, anything that can cause you cause harm to the body, such as, you know, infections to begin with. But then when the immune system kind of gets confused, uh, it starts attacking the self-tissue, thinking that it is foreign. That's when you have a condition called autoimmune disease, where the immune system attacks the self-autoimmune. Okay, self-immune system attacking the self. Uh, So, you know, there are many autoimmune conditions such as, you know, lupus, uh, systemic lupus erythematosus, where you attack the, you know, the immune system attacks the joints and the kidneys and the skin. But in MS, the myelin, the the covering of the nerve sheets are attacked by the immune system. So that's why you would probably sometimes hear the word demyelination, meaning immune system attacking the myelin and removing the myelin, demyelination or loss of myelin. So this is the fun part of the show where I'm going to try to explain how I think something works and then you get to correct me. Uh, (laughs) So so myelin's like kind of, uh, it's almost, it's it's this little covering kind of spaced out on a neuron and uh, and the electricity kind of it, it speeds up the um, the signal. It's kind of it's kind of making the signal jump mm-hmm. um, across the axonic dendrite. And and so when you lose that, you lose that speed mm-hmm. of the uh, signal uh, delivery. Correct. I think you said it really well. The way I would see it is that (laughs) the signal is made in the nerve cell, right? But then the signal has to travel to the different parts of the body. 
So in order for the nerve conduction to grow fast, go fast, you have the ensheathment around the nerve fibers, almost like an insulator. So you can kind mm. of think about the wire, the the metal part would be the axons, the wrapping of the plastic is the insulators, the myelin's like that. So myelin's made out of lipids or fats, very special kind of lipids to make the nerve conduction go really fast. So, you know, anywhere in the brain and spinal cord and optic nerve can be attacked by the immune system. So when that happens, uh, you know, you have loss of function of that particular nerves, nerve fibers or nerves. So let's say, for example, right in MS, if the optic nerve or the nerve that gives the vision is attacked by the immune system, you'll lose vision, right? Whereas if the sensory part of the nervous system, nerve fibers are attacked, you'll have numbness. The same way if the motor fibers, uh, nerves that help you make movement, motor movements, right? If it's attacked, then you'll have weakness. So that's why it's very confounding. It's basically immune system attacking the myelin and the nervous system because, but you don't know where it's going to be attacked. So one patient may have optic neuritis and vision impairment, but the other person may show up with numbness or the other person with weakness or paralysis. So, you know, there's a, theme that threads through all of those symptoms, but the outward production is different. So that's why it's so confounding. Another, yeah. you know, another feature is also it's the relapsing remitting, uh, you know, um, feature of the disease, which is almost like kiss and run because the immune system would attack the myelin. It'll, the symptoms would last from weeks to months, and then it resolves. So after a month, month and a half, the symptoms go away. So, you know, it's also like it happened and then it's no longer there. So it, the, the episodic feature also makes it really confounding. Yeah, it, it just seems like there's so much individual difference mm -hmm. uh, with with MS uh, uh, more so than so many uh, other ailments in life. So, uh, Megan, could you introduce kind of uh, just a little bit about some of your um, background and maybe it'll help kind of give May some context too, and I'm sure she'll have lots to say about it, but just kind of when things started happening for you, what your experience was? Yeah, um, about, well, it'll be five years this summer, I was in this car wreck, and I wasn't really injured physically, but it was pretty traumatic um, emotionally, and I would say within a month or so, I started having some like brain fog and some weird physical symptoms, some numbness and tingling in my fingers. Um, but concurrently, a lot of other weird stuff was happening to my body. My joints were popping and cracking and this, this, and this, it was like dominoes, all these symptoms. And I was diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And at the time I'm, you know, seeking answers. I'm asking for nerve conduction studies. Why are my finger, you know, do I have carpal tunnel? What's, what's going on? And the time my doctor was blaming everything on the Ehlers-Danlos and really kind of was encouraging me to drop any investigation of anything further. And I had some intuition or something to keep digging and I, um, it, it was very bizarre. I mean, she was asking me to just take these pills. If we can get rid of the symptoms, just drop it. And I was like, I need to know. 
this doesn't feel like just Ehlers-Danlos. So I found a um, neurologist and I came to him with my theories, which were a B12 deficiency or this, you know, whatever. And he ordered a brain scan and, and a C-spine scan. And I was like, well, that's, that's weird. Why would, you know, and I, and throughout all this time, this was going on for maybe a year, like symptoms, you know, seeking answers. Um, I had never once sought out MS. I just was like, that's, I mean, it just didn't even enter the realm of possibility for me. So he called me on a Friday and said, yeah, you've got some lesions on your brain and he's talking a mile a minute and these are enhancing and this, this, and this. And I was like, and he's like, I think you have multiple sclerosis. And I just was floored by that. I, it just didn't even seem real. And, um, uh, it was pretty devastating to hear, but I spoke to a friend of mine who's a neurologist and another friend, and they said, you're, you know, you're going to be okay. They talked me off the ledge and, um, said there's, you know, the MS of today is not the same as it was 20 years ago or even five years ago with the new treatments that were available. And, um, I was able to get into a clinical trial for Ocrevus, Ocrelizumab, and, um, which had already been approved, but getting into the trial meant a speedier, um, you know, ability to get it, get it approved. So I was, uh, uh, started infusions a few months later and I've had one or two like definite relapses early on in the treatment course. But since then, um, not a lot of new disease activity. And I just, um, I sometimes feel like the luckiest girl in the world. Um, uh, but I also take uh, low-dose naltrexone um, as kind of like an adjunct therapy, um, and since then, I've totally overhauled all these other areas of my life to try to control what I can control with diet and exercise and mindfulness and stress reduction and things like that, And um, but I'm very uh, interested in research and um, I just, this whole thing with my health has just reinvigorated a love of science um, for me and health and medicine and all of it. So when Shane told me he was interviewing you and I looked at your bio, I just was fangirling pretty hard and just am very impressed with how you spend your time and very um, thankful, so, really May how what what are common symptoms? How does how does Megan's story kind of compare to average occurrences? And it sounds like there isn't really the the word average is kind of hard to use when it comes to MS. Well, uh, you know, yes, uh, Shane, uh, I'll try my best to address that. But first of all, Megan, you know, I just want to tell you that you know I'm so proud of the journey that you have come so far. And, you know, my heart goes out to you. Every time I see a new patient, you know, and I hear the story along the similar lines, you know, I, you know, I am humbled uh, as well as reinvigorated, you know, to help cure this disease. And, you know, I've seen you for less than five minutes on Zoom, but, I think you're doing all the right things. And I agree with your two friends. Um, you will do really well. You know, I think you've addressed all the components 
uh, of multiple sclerosis. You know, it's really not just MRIs and ocrevus, as you know, you know, the mind and body connection, the other important aspects that you've honed in. So we can delve into it as well. So I just want to, you know, give you a shout out and (laughs) just to let you know that, you know, uh, my heart kind of leaps when I hear those stories, but also I totally feel elated to hear, you know, in your short journey, you know, how well you're honing in, you know, and you're turning it around and making it a positive journey for you so thank you okay yeah thank uh, you. so getting back to you know Shane's uh, question you know how uh, you know how how unique is your presentation right so I always say that you know I've, I've I do this for a living and I've amassed quite a you know quite a bit of experience but I would say no two people walk into my clinic with the same presentation. So mm-hmm. every case is unique. But if you look at it, you know, as an MS physician, are you okay? Uh, Megan, are you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm very uh, emotionally charged. I don't know. I just, I'm very no, affected. No, it is a personal story too. So if you need a little break, let me oh, know. Oh, no, well. I'm okay. okay. I'm, I'm just a crier anyway, but it's just, this is, I just <laughs> am very honored to be sitting here with you and just no, be talking to you. No, it is cathartic to share stories, you know. Yeah. So well, just, she- Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Megan, Megan's also in in uh, the, the best shape of her life. Really, she's mm-hmm. she's taken this as a incentive to she. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how much I should share, but quit drinking and uh, mm-hmm. and started exercising like crazy. And she's one of the, one of the most like uh, you know regimented exercise wise mm-hmm. person that I know, and has just mm-hmm. been really on top of and nutrition and 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 everything else so it's it's uh who who knows if you'd even be in as good of shape as you are right now if if this had no i i wouldn't be i mean all of this health stuff has been i mean in many ways i say this all the time it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me but in in the same token and to the same degree if not more it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me on so many levels spiritual physical everything and i just i feel lucky the breaks that I've gotten with, you know, with getting in that clinical trial and the amazing doctors I've had and just in the ability to exercise and like, you know, the time to do it, I, you know, not everybody has that time or any of that. So it's, um, and just the time in which in our lifetime that I was, I got this, like, you know, people 20 years ago that could have been my same position in, you know, with the same symptoms and the same, timing of a doctor getting the MRI, like they would have just had a totally different progression. And I just, I feel really lucky and um, even luckier for what's to come. So, yeah. Isn't it a bit of an antithesis, huh? Like you would say that you get this, you said, you know, it was, you know, you, you summarized it in one sentence when you said that when you were on a Friday evening telephone call, when the doctor was telling you about the enhancing and non-enhancing lesions on the brain MRI, you brought and said you probably had MS. You said that was not part of my vocabulary. And 
you know, I could not wrap my head around it. And, you know, that clearly, you know, succinctly described your state of mind. And yet, right, a few years later, you turn around and see that this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Right. Oh, I, know. Uh, I have heard those stories before. And I think that, you know, in order for patients to get to that state, I think it's a team effort. I think you were you. I mean, I, the, most of the credit goes to you, but I think you also had really good guides, you know, including your care team, your doctor, your friends, your supportive environment, not just the medical aspect of it. So, you know, it is, it takes a village to take care of an MS patient, you know, so I think that, you know, what you can contribute is if you can share your story to, you know, somebody who was just diagnosed with MS and just had the world turned around, like turned upside down. If you can empower them, I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in these Facebook groups for different mm -hmm. different parts of my health thing. And um, I mean, I use it for my own resource and hive mind and things like that. But I, I spend a fair bit of time um, offering up exactly what you're saying, because it's, you know, that kind of stuff was instrumental to me early on. I mean, it still is. But um, and a lot of people don't have MS specialists, they see a neurologist that might you know, out in, you know, if in rural Kentucky or something, and they don't always get the best guidance. And that's, it's a, weird to say, but like often some of like, you know, th these groups can help guide people, even just saying like, find an MS specialist, like, cause they're recommending like Capaxone or something as a first line treatment. And that might not be appropriate anymore, mm -hmm. but because they're dealing with 45 other neurological diseases, they don't have the time to go to the MS conference or, you know, no best practices. So mm -hmm. it's, I, um, but yeah, being, um, I, and I, I share my story also to people very freely because they might be tick, you know, oh, I've got this numbness and tingling. I've had it for three years, but it's probably carpal tunnel. And I'm like, wait a second, maybe it's not. Or, you know, I found out a, a year ago that I have narcolepsy without cataplexy and I've gone probably 25 years of my life with it thinking I'm just tired and lazy and a terrible person um, because no doctor ever thought to send me to a sleep specialist. So now I, I tell anybody that will listen, Hey, if you're tired all the time, there might be a reason for it. Like seek answers. Yeah. because Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's like, it matters so much, you know, and I always say that I know a lot about MS, but you know, I have never been in your actual shoes, you know, but coming from you, right, even little tips, oh, I have the symptoms, but I did X, Y, and Z, and maybe you want to try it too. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, like out of ordinary treatments, but even, you know, little tips that you can share or the coping skills, you yeah, know, man. it matters so much to the MS patients. You know, I, even if I want to help, I am not, you know, I am, I would not be able to help as effectively as you can, like, you know, helping peer to peer. It's basically peer to peer mentoring, you know? Yeah. I've told her that she needs to write a book about her Absolutely. whole experience. All, yes, all the time. we will be cheering on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so May, what are, what are the various approaches? So mm -hmm. someone comes in, first day, someone comes in, they, they have MS, you're, you're going to be working with them. What are some of the first steps? If, if, mm -hmm. if it's expressed in so many different ways, mm -hmm. 
I, I imagine there must be so many different tools you must have to have in your mm -hmm. toolkit and then work through trying to figure out and I'm uh, which one specifically is going to work for a given individual. There's probably a lot of trial and error. How does that whole process work from your end of things? Yeah, you know, uh, it's really interesting. You know, initially we all started out thinking that, you know, highly, the more sophisticated you are, the more tools you have, you get close to the diagnosis. And I think there's a lot of truth in it, just like Megan shared, right? You have to get to somebody who's thinking about having MS in mind, right? Like a neurologist who's specializing in MS or cognizant of MS symptoms. Number two is like things like MRI, are very important blood tests that can rule out MS mimics because Shane, we don't have one blood test for MS, but we have other tests that can look like to rule out conditions that can look like MS, like mm. infections, other autoimmune conditions, because those can be quite easily, you know, uh, with a blood draw, you can rule those out. So by exclusion, MS becomes the diagnosis. I think all of that is very important but, you know, the longer I do this, what I've realized is the most important thing is as a physician um, to have an open mind, not to have preformed ideas and listen to the patient, you know, and listen to what the patient is trying to tell you. And, you know, a lot of the times you kind of have to pick out the important things out of a thousand things that they tell you. But I think the important thing is you have to listen to what the patient is trying to tell you. So patient first approach, right? And Chin, you're right. It comes in so many different flavors, but there is a common thread to it, right? So common things being common. You see somebody who is, you know, in the, you know, uh, age that where you see uh, is common, uh, MS commonly occurs like during in young adults during the reproductive age. But mind you, MS can occur in very young and very old as well. So you can't exclude that either. But then when they have these symptoms that come on quite suddenly, you know, within hours to days, uh, and then stays on for, you know, weeks to a few months and then resolve. Right, like so visual symptoms are really so you know, we have the code words or telltale signs. If somebody comes and tells you, like, oh, you know, I I have like, you know, my I have blurry vision like a black curtain coming down. I woke up with blurry vision in my eyes and I thought I had oil in my eyes. Or, you know, when I do this and this, the one eye is different, you know, or if they say I woke up with numbness waist down, or you know, you also hear these stories that you know I'm I don't know why, but I've always been, my balance has been off and I fall often, you know. Um, if that happens like after delivery during the postpartum period or, you know, sometimes after infection. So those are the things that should raise a red flag. The rest of it is the good old thorough neurological exam. You don't skip, you go step by step. You examine the patient thoroughly, you listen to them, and that is probably the 80%, you know. And also you have to have the, in your back of your mind, you have to have a high index of suspicion, you know. And mm. the rest of it is the sophisticated tools like the MRIs are very helpful. Not only do they 
tell you, you know, that the brain and spinal cord and optic nerves are involved. We know whether it's an active disease, you know, if they are active or enhancing lesions, uh, if there is chronicity, such as, you know, if you have brain atrophy, whether brain is involved, spinal cord is involved, how many, how much, you know, in a quantity, you know, sort of a quantitative manner. And the spinal fluid too, uh, we don't always do spinal fluid analyses, but, you know, in order to basically, you know, MS is basically, you have to have neurological episodes that are separated in space and time. Space meaning one time in the optic nerve, another time in the brain. Time meaning one is an active lesion, one is an inactive lesion, or two separate episodes. So, you know, if you meet those criteria, patients get diagnosed with MS. And then the journey begins. Well, that was one of the, when I put a kind of feeler out on on uh, social media for mm -hmm. questions for you, that was one of the things I saw come up a couple of times was, uh, was does MS sometimes, what, what does MS sometimes get confused with? Mm -hmm. Like uh, I, I think someone mentioned mm -hmm. Lyme's disease in, mm -hmm. in particular. And uh, yeah, Megan, did you? Yeah, when this was all going on, um, that was a suspicion. I had a dermatologist because I had gone to see him for something, you know, mole check or something. And I was telling him just in conversation, I'm having all these weird symptoms and this, this and this. And he was like, you might want to find out about Lyme disease because it's becoming an epidemic. It's everywhere. It's not just in these pockets of the country. And so I took that to the neurologist that I saw at this appointment and he had ordered the MRI, but he also ordered the B12 testing and he ordered... Lyme disease testing, but mm -hmm. he didn't order it in the correct, like, like I, I would have failed it if he had ordered it in the right way, but he ended up doing like the Western blot and um, I had tested positive for all these bands. And so I, I, that I got a call from the, the Ohio Department of Health before I found out about the MS asking me about my Lyme disease. I was like, what? My doctor said everything was good. And, um, and so that ended up cr like throwing a wrench into the whole diagnostic process because we were trying to piece these things apart. Do I have Lyme and MS? Do I, I mean, and eventually they basically convinced me to just drop the Lyme disease thing because I get, I don't know, it wasn't convenient or I don't, I don't know. I still don't know what, what happened with that, but um, my symptoms seemed much more closely aligned with Lyme disease. I mean, I was having like Achilles tendon burning and all this weird stuff and all my MS symptoms have always been bilateral. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, who knows what that's about, but. But you had a quite a, you know, tortuous path as well, to say the least, you know, <laughs> early stand loss and car accident and, you know. Oh, and then the, yeah. the, uh, lumbar puncture to diagnose the MS caused a six-month CSF leak battle. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's, yeah, we can, you know, courtesy of the Ehlers-Danlos that I didn't seal up like they thought I would. And that was a whole nother journey. You were like on your back for six months or something like that, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I was buying upright time with Diet Coke and... um caffeine pills to sit, yes, you know, to be upright uh, for a little bit. Not, but not, yeah, no fun. No, but it made me stronger and I'm here to tell about it. So, so may, what are, what are some of the, is this, does this happen where, where people um, confuse uh, 
various things with MS or, or, or especially Megan had mentioned early on that she feels lucky that she is in this time in history with all of the modern tools and everything. I, I imagine there was a, it was a lot more to home in on. Um, yeah. Very true. Years you know. ago. Yeah. I mean, that, that's almost like, a, I mean, before we diagnose somebody, before we give a confirmatory diagnosis of what we call the clinically definite MS, uh, we have to rule out other MS mimics. So Lyme disease is one of that, one of the on the list, you know, so we rule out infections like Lyme disease, uh, inflammatory conditions, other autoimmune conditions like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and hypospholipid antibody syndrome that can also give you like white spots in the brain, uh, can mimic MS. All of those have to be ruled out. And also the other thing too is, you know, just like Shane mentioned, uh, in the old days, it takes like 10 plus years for somebody to get to the diagnosis of MS because, you know, you have an attack, two months later, you're better. You know, you haven't even seen your doctor, the symptoms go away. And then next year you get another attack in a different, you know, uh, in a diff- in your different part of your body. So it goes on for a while before you get diagnosed with MS. So you know, when you see somebody at that stage, like 10 years out, most of the time it's a classic MS, you know, most of the features are fulfilled. But these days, you know, I think people are a lot more aware of the disease. They pay more attention to their body. The knowledge is out, not just for the patients, also for the treating physician. So you get to the diagnosis earlier and also the tools are available. But you also see a lot of the atypical cases or early cases that have not fulfilled the, the, all the criteria, you know. Mm-hmm. So in those cases, you know, it is also a responsibility, right, to diagnose somebody with a disease. You better be sure, you know, you better have no stones unturned. So definitely we have to fulfill these not only ruling in MS, you have to rule out other things that can mimic multiple sclerosis. So I had uh, I had this fantastic episode at the uh, beginning of the year uh, with uh, Michael Snyder with mm-hmm. uh, Stanford Health, mm-hmm. and uh, and I ran out and got a smartwatch right afterwards, and and uh, haven't you. looked back, and and love the idea of it, and the idea was uh, you know th- this is a way of of. Uh, it, with simple measurements like changes in in your heart rate, you can uh, you, you can potentially uh, detect a virus, a cold, Lyme's disease, COVID, various other ailments before um, uh, notice a change. Maybe not know exactly what it is, but notice a change um, uh, that you want to attend to before uh, symptoms take place. And this is also. Uh, not only is this great for, say, with with COVID going around where you can uh, be even that much more careful about quarantining yourself until you've uh, uh, been tested and everything else, but you can also kind of get a jump on um, what whatever uh, whatever the best treatments are. And it, uh, like COVID has different treatments for different stages of it. And, and I imagine MS is a, is a similar thing. What 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 has happened in um, in the last several uh, 
decades or so, or or just in recent modern medicine that that has helped dial in um, earlier and earlier detection of MS and and what are what are some of the what are some of the things that can be done when it's caught really quickly versus when it's gone on for a while because maybe someone ignored their symptoms mm-hmm. or or didn't go in mm-hmm. early enough. Yeah. Yeah, so I would use like a multi-pronged approach. Uh, you know, uh, the first part is we discussed it a little bit early on, like education, right? Like patient education and, you know, educating the physicians to be aware of the symptoms when you have them, not to ignore them, uh, ask for medical attention, whatnot. The second aspect is the diagnostic, you know, from the diagnostic aspect, right? Can you Can you predict? MS, right? Can you predict who's going to have MS, right? Or can you even catch the earliest stage of MS, the preclinical or prodrome state, right? So that they don't really um, move into the state of MS. So before I do that, I'm going to share a little bit of the uh, lingo. So, you know, Megan, you probably are all, all over it. So please uh, just ignore it, you know. The, so. So basically, in order to meet the diagnostic uh, diagnostic criteria for MS, the multiple sclerosis, so you have to have multiple attacks, right? But sometimes you see the patient after the first episode, right? Either a clinical episode like a vision impairment or weakness or just, you know, uh, like somebody had was in a car accident or had headaches, went and scanned the brain with an MRI and you see a lesion, so incidental findings, right? So that's called a clinically isolated syndrome or radiologically isolated syndrome. So it, big words, but bottom line is it's the one-time event. That one-time event can stay as one-time event and not turn into MS or can progress into MS. So Shane, just like you said, you had mentioned very pertinently, it's really important to catch it there, right? Because you want to catch it as the CIS or clinically isolated stage and then not get into the multiple stage, in which case it would not be, a, you know, you won't have to treat somebody permanently with a medication, right? So MRIs have become really helpful right? Like in diagnosing, somebody has a symptom, you catch them early on with the MRIs, but we want to precede that, right? We don't want to wait until somebody has a lesion in the brain because you have one brain, you know, it's a permanent organ. We want zero damage to the brain, right? So if we can diagnose a blood test, right, where we can look at the immune cells, we don't have it yet. Or if we can look at the genes and if we can predict right? Your immune system is kind of going, you know, awry. So can we kind of tilt it back on the thermostat so that it gets back to the normal, healthy, or homeostatic stage? So that's really important. That's what we're really interested in. We're really interested in blood biomarkers or genetic biomarkers that we can predict. So basically, we have a few clues now. Oh, clues. Okay. Yes. So like Low vitamin D, vitamin D deficiency is strongly associated with uh, multiple sclerosis. So a lot of the most, many or, you know, a large part of the 
a large population of the MS patients have vitamin D deficiency. So vitamin D is not just used, used as a vitamin. It is also an immune regulator. So it keeps the immune cells in healthy state. Okay, so vitamin D is one. Uh, the other component is the, the infections. And Epstein-Barr virus has strongly been associated uh, with the incidence of MS. It's really hard to parse out because 95 or so percent of the general population is positive uh, with uh, Epstein-Barr virus or the virus that gives mono, infectious mononucleosis. 100% of the MS patients have had at some point had EBV or mono. Okay, so we don't really know whether it's a direct causal or it's a, you know, it's an association, true, true, but unrelated, right? Mm. But it is very intriguing, you know, because the, whether the, the, an infection has kind of, you know, uh, turned your immune system off to, an, to a bad immune state where it starts attacking the myelin, okay? I... I remember reading something, which I'm sure I'm butchering, um, uh, 15 years ago or okay. something, and, and, and I'm sure that everything's come along quite a bit since that time. Um, it, but it was something like they 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 were seeing a trend between okay. people that had um, some sort of severe severe illness as a as a child, like nine, ten years old, kind of like you said, mo mono or something, and then and then um, MS expressing uh, again, and uh, or or those people um, starting to express MS in their you know often late twenties or so, and and there being kind of I guess I guess like you were saying, not understand you know mm -hmm. correlation causation stuff, not knowing what was going on there, it, um, is is that still uh, some of the case early on in child? Is that what you're what uh, you were kind not of not so much like uh, early on or childhood, like around the time of the you know like uh, you know several months before the initial oh, onset, you know, it's almost like there's an immune hit, you know. So, you know, we I would always I ask my patients prior to this, you know, uh, what do you think happens? Because a lot of the clues you get from the patients, you know, like go back, think about it, what happened around that time. And they would, you know, I would say 30 to 50% of the times there's some, um, you know, infection or immune activation. They would say, yeah, you know, I was down with this infection. I don't know what it was. I thought it was a really bad case of flu. But then I started like two months later, three months later. So, you know, we make a mental note, we write it down, but we have not proved it directly that this infection is causing, you know, the neurologic episode, right? So you do hear that, you know, but in half of the patients, uh, they also would say, you know, I can't really... You know, I can't really pinpoint to anything. Uh, a lot of the things that you hear is also stress. This is the most stressful time in my life, right? Like that's like the the common theme, you know? Uh, so stress mm. is not good. Stress and MS don't go well together. Mm. What about um, uh, as we... I, I know it's often kind of this um, uh, exaggerated 
often false dichotomy of of uh uh, genes versus environment, and I know it's always both are playing a role. But is there with uh, with as genetic testing mm-hmm. advances, is there is MS something that seems to run in families at all? Is there a genetic component going on? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, so definitely. You know, we've known it since the you know late sixties, seventies. You know that HLA genes play a role you know, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, as a MS susceptibility gene, you know. Uh, So, but then not everyone who has the susceptibility gene ends up having MS. So it's almost like, you know, it's a, you know, basically you have to have two double hits. So you have to have the susceptibility gene and you have to have the second hit. That second hit can come, I think, in a variety of ways or a combination of a few. Uh, to name a few, vitamin D deficiency is one. Infections uh, could be the other. Stress has been shown to turn the immune systems, immune cells from good cells to bad cells, and also obesity and hormones. You know, we learn quite a few things uh, about MS through hormones. So, you know, women. Uh, it usually occurs during women, uh, in women during reproductive age. In general, it can occur in either end of the spectrum. Pregnancy is protective. After delivery, patients end up having relapses. You know, so hormones do play a role as well. So those mm-hmm. are the, you know, to name a few second hits. You do need to have the you know, basic susceptibility gene, but having that itself is not enough to, you know, elicit or to mount a disease or to push somebody off the cliff to have the disease. The second hit could be infections, um, you know, vitamin D deficiency, hormones, and stress. Uh, I have a few more questions. I want to give you an opportunity to jump in, though, if you want, Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I mean, I, I can think of a thousand things. Um, but yeah, why don't you ask what you, uh, all right. Well, I have something that's, uh, on, on my mind is, as you were talking about, um, other doing your, your research is, uh, expands into all sorts of neurologic, uh, conditions. What do you have any takes on any, um, Anything coming out about COVID? And I, I know that there's been some neurologic issues associated with some of the uh, some of the COVID cases. Have you taken uh, any interest in mm-hmm. in that at all? Do you, do you have mm-hmm. any uh, anything you could share? Yeah, because right, like COVID is so uh, so much around us, right? Like it pretty much runs our lives now. So (laughs) what affects my patients affect me as well, right? So a few things that I can share with, you know, this is also uh, something that we all are learning together. So it's just been a little over a year. So, but what we have known so far is just because you have MS, um, it doesn't increase your risk of getting COVID, okay? Just because you have MS, it also doesn't mean that you're going to have more severe disease, okay? Uh, So 
National MS Society and uh, quite a few of the uh, MS specialists from, you know, um, from Europe as well, they've come in and they sh they've shared their experience. Um, most of the immune modulatory therapies or MS drugs uh, don't directly impact. But, you know, of course, we're more concerned about patients who are on, you know, infusion therapies, biologic therapies, you know, basically we're removing a part of the immune system so that, you know, these cells don't attack uh, your brain and spinal cord and give you MS relapses. So, you know, in that sense, uh, we have changed your immune system in a certain way. So we do worry that, you know, A, will it affect the, you know, how COVID uh, impacts your body? And also not just that, together with that, the vaccine response too, right? Now that the COVID vaccine is out and we're all racing to vaccinate as many people as fast as possible. So some of the therapies that we use to treat MS patients remove B cells like ocrelizumab, ocrevus. So those are the cells that uh, give the vaccine response. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it requires careful planning you know, when they get vaccinated, when they get their infusions, because, you know, um, we don't want the MS to get worse. So they do need that therapy, but they do need that vaccine too. So the timing is important. What about people without, what about uh, all of these cases of, of healthy people having balance issues and, and things associated with some of the, some of these COVID long haulers and mm -hmm. everything? Do you have, uh, mm -hmm. do people know what's going on with that? You know, as you know, right, like a COVID initially, we thought with COVID-19, we initially thought that it just, it's a respiratory tract infection, but that's not mm. true. Uh, many organs and systems, including the central nervous system, uh, can be impacted. So there has been case reports and case series that have, uh, that has, uh, is already in print. Uh, so, you know, uh, for the long haulers, uh, I think it's basically uh, balance issues and things like that could be caused by a variety of, you know, organ system involvement and a central nervous mm. system and the peripheral nervous system are ones as well, you know. So that needs to be followed and, uh, you know, discussed and cared for under a physician, you know, uh, especially if they have, if the patients have neurological symptoms with a neurologist. Um, all right, well, back to uh, kind of what your uh, work specifically is with MS. What what do you, uh, th and by the way, thank you so much for, this is the first time that I've, uh, that I've really had a MS episode uh, on the show and, and it's, it's uh, been wanting to do this for a long time. It's an important subject uh, to me, and I know a lot of listeners are are uh, know someone with MS and are going to want to know more. But uh, you've given us such a broad uh, and wonderful overview. Could you share some of the things that you specifically are working on that that mm -hmm. you're excited about? Well, two areas, I guess. I'm really excited about the uh, biomarkers, you know, just as we had discussed. Uh, can we get early biomarkers, right? Like uh, at the stage of no disease or after the first episode, can we predict MS, 
right? And can we predict what kind of outcome the patient will have? Is it a mild disease uh, that can be, you know, treated with a mild, you know, like first line effective, but a milder medication? Or should we be, you know, treating this patient with stronger therapies, right? And also, you know, as you know, after the MS attack, um, there's some degree of healing or remyelination, um, but there are also, you know, parts of the brain that have permanent damage. So you do want to predict, right? Uh, what's the impact on the nervous system? Um, should I be putting somebody on a stronger medicine, right? The most of all, I'm very interested in the cognitive impairment in MS because, you know, our cognition, uh, our memory, our thinking is so important, you know, and I think it's uh, appreciated, but not enough, you know, so that's an area that needs a lot of research as well. So I'm really excited about those areas. And most of all, I do think that, you know, right now in the field, uh, we have like, you know, over a dozen, 15, 16 good medications, but we don't really have a way to, you know, um, match the patient with the medication. Rather than going like, go from one to two to three, if there are some kind of genetic signatures or molecular signatures, either from the blood or from the cerebrospinal fluid or even by sophisticated MRI scans, right? If we know that if this patient is going to respond best to medication A, B, or C, if we can go to it directly, we don't have to wait until they fail and move on to it. So I think, mm. you know, patient selection, phenotyping, and, you know, therapy, um, you know, uh, selection is really important. And I think we have all the tools that we need. I think it's basically careful, you know, um, interaction and working of the MS doctors with the basic scientists, immunologists to develop those tools. And in which case, I think patients will have a really good outcome. So that's from the therapy side. But the other side that, you know, I have learned to appreciate and, you know, learn from the patients who have come to talk to me is the non-pharmacological side, outside of the medicines and the MRIs, the wellness, right? So as I told you, it takes a village to, you know, take care of a MS patient. And, you know, when somebody in the family has MS, it's not just your disease anymore. It has become our disease because it impacts everybody, right? So diet, exercise, wellness, you know, stress management, you know, so those fatigue management, those are the things that you really have to, you know, empower the patient. You know, if I... I mean, I see my patients quite often, but at the most, I see them every three months or every six months. But if I can give them the tools to them and to the families, you know, the rest of the year, 365 days, they can, they can practice it, you know, as part of their everyday life. And that has been, that I think is really important to emphasize. And I'm sure Megan can share many, you know, um, 
many tips and pearls from, you know, throughout your journey. So I think that's one area that I'm really excited about. I, th this, this fits really uh, well into my last question was, which mm -hmm. was kind of for both of you. Uh, what are, um, just some tips in terms of in terms of research in terms of people that are listening have family members have ms themselves um what are what are some of the best resources that uh that are out you know megan spends a lot of time on mm -hmm. in these different forums that that not only has she gotten a lot from but she's also been able to contribute a lot uh to we we mentioned early on um uh, uh, you know, Megan should write a book. Or are, are there books out there that exist, um, Mehan, that that um, you think are a really great resource for people? Um, anything else, Megan? Would you like to go first? Um, I mean, I know the MS Society is a really good resource. Uh, many different spokes to their um, to their offerings. I mean, they offer financial resources to people. I think, um, you know, physician resources and things like that. Um, I do think digital support groups can be great, whether that's Reddit or different mm -hmm. forums, you know, social media and things like that. There's in-person support groups. Um, I've never been to those, but I know they can be really helpful and really finding a good care team that um, mm -hmm. cares. My now neurologist is a young woman who has will sit with me in her office for two hours sometimes and she has told to me I can't even count how many times I don't know and hearing those words from a doctor uh from all the doctors I've seen is just very impressive and we will sit there and google it together she'll you know look up some scholar resources or whatever and just um I've had a lot of I was going to mention this when you were talking about the health piece um, in the first year of my journey, all this stuff was going on, all these different things. And I had 120 plus different medical appointments and probably 80 of those were with doctors. And in not one of those, besides I think Dr. Bum or my neurologist, um, did anybody ask me about my diet or exercise stress or sleep. The only time that was brought up was when I brought it up. And that has really been pervasive through the rest of these years. I mean, the four or five years I've been doing this, and it's been really disheartening. I am very hopeful for medicine 3.0, should that ever arrive. But it's, um, I, I mean, a lot of times it's every man for himself. And it's this hive mind and in these groups and talking about you know, how important exercise and these things are. But I, you know, my I have seen my own physical transformation. I mean, I went from joint pain all over my body. I mean, name a joint and I, it's been affected to, to right now where, I mean, I can find some pain, but like very, very little. I mean, my whole life has just turned around and a lot of that stuff is, is you know, some of it's from pharmacological interventions, but a lot of it is stuff that I've been able to to do. And so as, I mean, as far as resources, I, I think, you know, using each other, you know, like you were mentioning peer to peer stuff and finding a good care team mm -hmm. um, that really cares. And I know that the, the, I don't blame the individual doctors. I blame the system. I blame 
the the pressures that they're up against and they've got 15 minutes to jot down as many notes as they can to get this appointment, you know, covered by the insurance and stuff. And it's just the state of our, our healthcare system, but um, we can use resources like, I mean, like podcasts, I have learned like Shane's podcast, which has led me to other things and other, you know, I've just learned so much about health and the human body and um, which has helped me reestablish my priorities in a day or in, in general. And so there's a lot of resources that we, we can tap into and not all of them are good and there's mm-hmm. bad information out there, but um yeah, I mean, I don't, I, as far as like specific stuff, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. No, like I think you covered a lot, you know, and I think it's, uh, it's also, you, you know, really, uh, I would like to encourage you as well to share what you know, right? Even if you're not sure to run it by your doctor, because, you know, I've had, you know, I, I mean, I'm Western, I'm trained in the, you know, Western system. So that's what I knew. But I also have opened my minds because patients have come and asked me questions, right? And if I don't know, I look up, right? And also you see these patients before and after, right? So I think you also, and it's also a no-brainer when you think about it, right? Like a diet is the biggest medicine that you put inside your body every day, right? So if you want to have like healing and repair or even wear and tear, right, for wear and tear, you have to give good raw material if you want to heal, right? So things like that, if somebody sat down and spent 15 minutes or 20 minutes explaining to you, you get it because, you know, it's already a known fact. But coming from a doctor, I think it matters a lot. So I always try to do after the diagnosis, once the patients are on the right medication, for me, that's paramount, you know, but once we have that, I would sit down and talk about symptoms and symptom management, lifestyle modification, and, you know, even sitting down with the family members or whatnot. And, you know, how are the caregivers doing? You know, are they getting along well? The social, emotional, psychological aspects of it. I encourage them to talk to people, you know, like, you know, spiritual, emotional support comes in many ways for many people. Sometimes for some people, it's running. For other people, it's music or, you know, art, whatever it may be, to find your, you know, source of strength where you can, you, you know, replenish. And diet is paramount. We're really lucky, though. We have a, a group called the Integrative Medicine uh, at Stanford. So, you know, at least I know that when I refer them to my colleagues, my patients will have the sound, legitimate knowledge and information. Because part of it is also not because we believe or don't believe. There's not enough science, right? Because people haven't done thorough research, you know, on these topics. So, you know, uh, I mean, our group work very closely with the ancillary care. So integrative medicine doctors you know, other symptoms that come with MS, physical therapy, occupational therapy, you know, psychotherapy and counseling, bladder care, bowel care, vision, you know, so all of those. So that's why in a lot of the MS centers, you have those ancillary care, like tapped into one. 
But I really like, you know, when people give a talk about nutrition, not just like, you know, go with the Mediterranean diet, you know, the food pyramid and whatnot. You know, how do you repair myelin? What are the components that you're needing? What are the elements, you know, from a legitimate source, I think is really important. Exercise is also really paramount, right? You just can't say go exercise because it's not the cardiovascular type of exercise. So, you know, is it stretching, you know, core strengthening, balance exercises, weight training, cardio, you know, and how do you put all of those together? So some of the physical therapists who work with patients who have neurological issues, they're really facile in, you know, integrating and developing a, you know, a, a exercise program. The rest, you just have to, you know, see what works for you and what you like, because only then you'll be able to maintain it, you know. Mm. So I'll stop yeah. here, you know, I mean. I was going to well, ask, that... oh, sorry. Uh-huh. Go ahead, um, well, I know that there's um, a couple, and this is back to the therapeutics, but you got me thinking when you're talking about diet and remyelination, um, because I think that's really fascinating too, but I've been light, loosely following, trying not to like get, to, you know, until it goes to phase three and um, there's a little bit more promise, but on these remyelination therapies and how that, you know, that could be a complete game changer. And I know there's one with metformin and like mm-hmm. clomastin. Mm-hmm. Or something. And yeah. I, and I, yeah, yeah. I happen to be on metformin for PCOS. Mm-hmm. So and there's been a lot of interesting stuff coming out about metformin with longevity and this, this and this. And I was like, yeah, if there's a bonus there for, you know, I could tap into some, you know, patching some stuff up in there. I don't know. But are you hopeful for these therapies? Yeah, very, you know, because I think we have like a lot of good immune therapies, but not so much from the repair side. Uh, but I do think that in some, you know, in some ways, it's not like, you know, inflammation and neurodegeneration occur in silo, you know, so there's inflammation and there's ongoing repair. So you have to have a way to control the inflammation um, you know, either in terms of induction or continuous therapy or whatnot, while trying to promote remyelination or repair, yeah. right? Or even preventing neurodegeneration. So yeah. while all these studies are in, you know, in clinical trials, we're very hopeful. But, you know, keep exercising. Exercise is the best way you can, you know, repair the brain, rewire and recharge the brain. That's one of those We talked about diet and even like, you know, doing uh, exercises that are, you know, that take part, like that part that coordinates different part of your brain. That's why people say, right, learn a new instrument, learn a new language. It doesn't have to be it. But if you, you know, uh, if you switch, um, you know, uh, if you basically use different parts of the brain for, for, a function that you don't normally do that would trigger brain growth or repair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But since the beginning, I've had this kind of thought that I, okay, I'll get on this drug. Mm-hmm. That'll kind of hopefully hold me over, or, you know, do as much as it can. I, I'll do what I can, you know, I'll do t- take on some heavy lifting and hopefully buy some time for maybe the next best thing, whether it's remyelination drug or, or my own doing, you know, allowing space in there for healing to occur, um, you know, tampening down inflammation and, and 
allowing, you know, the natural remyelination to occur. Um, but yeah, I think it's a multifactorial approach that might yield better outcomes. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, so this has been, ter- I, I'm uh, sorry to cut it short, but I know May has to, she has uh, a, a meeting she needs to jump to in like three minutes here. So I just want to make sure and, and uh, let her go right away. But Megan, thank you so much for joining in and, and sharing your personal experience yeah. and and taking part. This is really fun and awesome. Um, May, thank you so much for your time and all of your incredible research and everything everything uh, that you do for humanity. And I, I know from trying to book you on this show that you have an insanely busy schedule. Here we are on a sa- late on a Saturday night recording a podcast before you go and jump off into a, a conference call. So uh, you're incredible. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for everything. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. It is a privilege, you know, and an honor to walk this journey with you all. Uh, you know, I'm every day humbled by watching, you know, people who do so well despite what they have. And I always say that they're my teachers and they give me the energy and the insight and the drive to do more. Uh, so thank you for what you do. And Shane, Thank you for picking up, you know, putting the pieces together so that we can have this incredible forum, you know, discussing about something I'm really passionate about. So I truly appreciate both of you. This is so great. It was fun and it's super important stuff. I know my listeners are going to love this. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you more next week. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, That was fun getting to have a friend join me to add some personal experience to a subject matter like that. That is so very important. Um, And so uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And uh, speaking of making things, changing the set around, if you're watching this on, on YouTube, uh, you know, simple curtains, some lighting things. We're, we're still tweaking some of the lighting, and and um, this is exciting. Um, no more autofocus. I didn't realize until I started. Uh, yeah, I, I went through. We're we're gonna get really hands on in the new podcast because it's a comedy podcast of editing highlights and stuff in kind of a more comedic fashion and having. Um, having like some fun jump cuts and adding different elements. It's not worth getting uh, all into with a bunch of jargon that I really don't know how to use. Um, And, but I'm, I'm excited about it and it's been fun and I was finally watching myself and I'd seen a couple comments, you guys talking about the autofocus on the camera and I tried to correct it before and Google it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, under normal conditions, uh, I, I, I would have back when I was touring, it would have just been like, oh, looks like there's no solution to this. I'll just get a different camera. I'll just spend a bunch of money and get the best camera available. And, and, uh, one of the things, one of the benefits of having no money, which by the way, I appreciate your support on Patreon. We are almost to the point where I have all of my editing, 
um, uh, expenses paid for. So I don't need to go out of pocket on that. So I appreciate your support on Patreon and the, those of you that have been joining in the groups that we've been doing game nights and started a group overshare. It's just like kind of a, a group therapy-ish of, of sorts, more of a cathartic release of both good and bad things just fun conversations i'm not good at small talk small talk makes me very uncomfortable so i created a space for big talk just did the second one and it's really fun so you can also connect with me on patreon as well as being on the discord connecting with others and you support the show that's how the show happens now that i don't have ads anymore which is so awesome no more selling you guys stuff other than myself which is a product that i actually believe in so Go and support this product on Patreon if you want, but in doing those, in the financial constraints that I have, I'm actually making so much use out of the limited stuff I do have. Of course, I have all of this time, uh, all, all this, uh, I'm so busy every day trying to like make things happen and still reorient myself one year into this. It's been over a year now since my last paid gig, guys. And, and, uh, so, but, but because of COVID, I've had to learn all these new skills and it's going to pay dividends because, you know, thing, uh, I mess around with this autofocus thing, right? I'm going around, I'm checking these boards and, and man, you know, we've all had frustrating computer issues. You know, when there's just like, no, like someone else has the question and it's on some weird forum somewhere is the only place you can even find someone else asking the question and no one has an answer and everyone else is just like, well, let me know if you figure it out. That's what was going on with this autofocus. I wanted to throw this stupid camera. I, first off, I didn't even know it was that big a deal because you can't really see it on my end and I don't watch the finished product often because I don't like watching myself because gosh, that's hard for any human being that's self-aware, but especially one with some insecurity issues. And so in reviewing and putting together the new podcast, which I will be sharing more about soon, it's with Ramin Nazer, um, my uh, very funny and thoughtful, uh, awesome friend. Check him out on Instagram and see all his incredible art. Started watching things and I realized, oh my God, this focus stuff is out of control. And it was worse because I was putting the camera further away and it was giving it harder. Yeah, so anyhow, made a bunch of improvements qualities going up, audio qualities going up. And I never wanted to, I, I didn't bother messing with a lot of things with here we are because I had so many other things on my plate and it kind of wasn't worth the added effort just to like blow my guests out of the water production value wise, you know, knowing with here we are each week, I'm going to be dealing with someone else with kind of uh, you know, working off their laptop or whatever. And so working on um, the, this last episode, there was some audio issues in there. There was my guess I tried to get rid of her to get rid of her virtual background, but she couldn't because of some constraint. And there's just, you know, there's something that happens um, all of the time. And, uh, and so with the new podcast, 
Uh, so one, I'm working on that, and 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 the academics are getting better too. The uh, and so just the quality is just naturally getting better because they're spending more time virtually teaching and everything else, and our, uh, and we're all learning along the way. But it's exciting having a podcast where it's just me and a friend of mine who also knows about this stuff a little bit because now we can. And I'm not saying it's a multi-million dollar production the cgi graphic cameras zipping around from 80 different angles but we have been able to fine tune a bunch of cool stuff and uh and really get some uniformity and some really consistent quality um, and uh, eliminate any kind of internet issue um, situations that might ruin the quality of things. And uh, it's been uh, a fun project. I've been working on it for a month now. We have six episodes recorded, and we'd have a lot more recorded, but it's we've been doing the art and getting ready for the launch and setting up new social media accounts. And, and so we already changed the name one time, so I... And, and we we have been tweaking things and making improvements. So that's why I'm not quite ready to announce just everything. But you guys are going to be the first to know. I'll probably share some stuff on here. I'll probably I'll probably share some preview clips at the end of, uh, of Here We Are too, so to give you guys a, a fun little taste here and there, even if while we're experimenting. I've been thinking about doing the same on Patreon uh, with, with maybe... Um, doing uh doing um uh what are the groups called the test groups or whatever uh doing like a live getting feedback from um from from you guys and and uh seeing if you want to contribute ideas into the new show and maybe help us see like you know which backgrounds you like better and um things that you would like to see on patreon things that you would like to hear from podcasts things that you like in other podcasts that you that you'd like to see us incorporate and and stuff like that so i'll be i'll be using patreon for more things like that especially with the launch of this new project and uh man it's been a lot of work taking a because it's it's easy to anyone can just hit record and and um put out a and record a podcast, but really working on doing it right and figuring out what the shape of the show will be. And uh, it's been really cool. And there's been some frustrating moments here and there and uh, kind of uh, getting getting everyone involved on the same page and everything. And that's been part of the uh, excitement of it. But um, overall, uh, I'm just pretty thrilled about this haven't had a comedy podcast in a long time i've been focused on here we are for so long and i was touring with comedy so much that i didn't really even didn't really even think to do a comedy podcast but this is going to be a real good one so um i hope you enjoyed me blabbing about it a little bit i'm just real excited uh and and uh it's been an interesting year of experimentation and I've learned so much and, you know, a lot of throwing spaghetti against the wall, but I look back and it's 
pretty incredible how much spaghetti has stuck to the wall. I've added a lot of things, and even even though financially, no, it's not paying off just yet. Uh, I'm, I think I'm learning enough um, to to really uh, uh, create um, some some uh, real cool stuff uh, coming real soon. But uh, in the meantime, we're also adding. Uh, more and more improvements to the Here We Are show. So I thought I'd show you the, give you a sneak peek at the new background, which you'll see in the full episode next week for the first time. For those of you that do watch on YouTube or maybe follow me on Instagram and get the highlights, you can follow the Here We Are podcast on Twitter as well as we're now posting. I started at Instagram for Here We Are and, I, and have been active on the Twitter for Here We Are. It's something that's kind of been dormant for a long time. Gosh darn it, I thought I turned that off. Um, anyway, uh, so so just excited about all of that. And, um, and the other thing is... is um, is oh i don't even remember oh yeah i was gonna tell you next week's episode is a COVID update show and it's already recorded it's with Je uh, jennifer brinkworth uh who uh, it's her second time actually her third time but the first time we had a uh, recording issue but uh her, her second time you guys will get to hear her uh talk and we had a whole big conversation all about vaccines and um Man, I I feel uh, I'll tell you I feel better about vaccines um, even um, even now. I was already pretty enthusiastic about vaccines and about um, about uh, you know um, working toward a uh, more uh, um, uh, future where. COVID has a less of a negative impact on our lives, and it was just a really thorough two-hour episode, uh, really got into it, answered a bunch of questions, answered a bunch of, uh, you know, the common things that I hear people talk about, and uh, it, it was just super fun. So I, I hope that you check out next week's, because it's really, really... Uh, stellar episode and and let me know you can always send advice to i've i've liked that i've been doing a COVID episode every every two months or so it's actually kind of been about three months or so now but um but i i've liked checking in from here and there and not dwelling on it too much and uh, uh you know without being redundant hitting people all over the head with it because i imagine you hear a lot about it all the time but this is a super cool episode, and I hope you check it out. So I'll see you next week.